Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. We have an amazing guest who is a renowned author and shaper of American Jewish life, Rabbi Michael Strassfeld. Um, and he has a new book out called Judaism Disrupted, a Spiritual Manifesto for the 21st Century. Uh, rabbi Strassfeld is a friend, a colleague, a rabbi's rabbi, and one of the most uh, uh, astute observers of the American Jewish soul as there is. And he is talking in his new book about something we have spoken about in Park Avenue Synagogue podcasts, which is the question of um, the, the transformations, the tectonic shifts that are taking place um, in American Jewry uh, that uh, I wrote a piece about in uh, the Hartman Journal and sources uh, about whether language of mitzvah, of commandment, um, actually has uh, resonance in a world of choice, of volition. Uh, these very same topics that have very much animated my own rabbinate are exactly what Rabbi Strassfeld is writing about in his new and fabulous book, Judaism Disrupted. Uh, for those of you who don't know this new book, you might be well familiar with Rabbi Strassfeld because he was one of the editors of the Jewish Catalog, which was published in 1973, 50 years ago this year, a guide to do-it-yourself Judaism that sold over 300,000 copies, one of the best-selling books, if not the best-selling book, um, uh, of its time in, in that category in, in Jewish life and living. He went on to edit the second and third Jewish catalogs, authored the Jewish holidays, co-authored a night of questions, a Passover Haggadah that we use in my home every year with his rabbi uh, wife, Joy Levitt. And he authored a book of life, Embracing Judaism as a Spiritual Practice. He edits a weekly newsletter about Judaism you can subscribe at michaelstrassfeld.com. And his newest book, as mentioned, is Judaism Disrupted, a Spiritual Manifesto for the 21st Century, published by Ben Yehuda Press. Rabbi Strassfeld graduated from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College at the age of 41 and served as a rabbi of Congregation Anshei Chesed, which is in a far, far away place called the West Side, and then at the Society for the Advancement of Judaism, also on the West Side, until his retirement in 2014. He was also a faculty member of the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. Lots more to say, but welcome, Rabbi Strassfeld. Thank you very much. It's great to see you. I, I, I want to start out on the personal. Normally, you wait till the end to do personal questions, but um, your, the arc of your uh, life story begins in a fascinating pocket of Americana Jewish life of Chavurat Shalom, if I'm not mistaken, um, a moment when 
which gave rise to some of my mentors. I studied with Michael Fishbane. My Hillel director was a guy named Michael Brooks. Um, some of my great heroes um, came out of that moment of American Jewish life. Um, and then you went on, and we'll do it one step at a time, to the moment of the publication of the Jewish catalog. Um, then you kind of went into the, the, the more formal rabbinate of congregational life, um, and, and now this. So um, is there an arc to your story, um, Rabbi, that, and, and from Chavurat Shalom to what you're doing now? I actually, uh, looking back, so maybe I just think... Maybe explain what Chavurat Shalom is for people who don't know. Shalom was an intentional community, meaning that um, there was a fellowship. You had to um, join and belong, and we did lots of things together. It, it was a reflection, or it was in the context of the general counterculture of the late 60s, early 70s that was happening in America, and this was the Jewish counterculture. And um, it wasn't a commune, which sometimes in the general counterculture there was. It wasn't we pooled our income or we went to farm someplace out in, out of the city, but we really um, spent our lives um, together uh, having a communal meal, having discussions, having study, celebrating Shabbat. And it was, uh, I think for all of us, and we were mostly graduate students at that at that time. This was, while that was that work was important. This was really the center of our lives, and we were trying to create a Judaism that was um, both rooted in the contemporary moment um, and yet deeply drew on the the tradition that we felt often had been uh, lost over the the previous decades. So that that was, the, in some ways, the beginning of, of the story. And then, and then where does the Jewish catalog uh, fit into that story? So partly it was, there was a, a book at the time called the Whole Earth Catalog that was a, a general counterculture book. And, uh, and it was also a, a large oversized paperback, even larger than the Jewish catalog came. But I, I, I think it was really... Uh, a desire to talk about this Jewish life that we were creating together. And we were, I, I think part of the appeal of the catalog was that none of us thought, oh, we, we're authors and we're you know, going to write a, an important book. Um, so it was really a sharing of our lives. And, and we basically asked everybody we knew in this Jewish counterculture, which was, you know, a couple hundred people, uh, we asked many of them to, to to write parts of the catalog. So it was a, a a group effort, though the three of us were editors. And um, and what and when people looked at the catalog, it looked very contemporary in its in its design. Um, it didn't look like you know just a, a regular Jewish old book. And uh, I think importantly, the photos were of uh, of us looked like every other uh, American of their 20s, or not every, but many of them, long hair, hippie looking. Uh, and so I, I think American Jews could see themselves in the book. Uh, and and that was part of its success. And I think it, it was one of those things that came at the right moment, where American Jews were looking 
for access um, to, to Judaism, for a celebratory Judaism, rather than one that felt, you know, all about rules, um, and that felt contemporary, and that you didn't have to choose between being Jewish or being part of America, but that you could do both together. And all of that was reflected in the catalog. All right, so I'm going to ask you one more personal question, but it actually goes directly to uh, the the subject matter of your book. But you, so you were part of this countercultural moment. The book is about do-it-yourself Judaism. Arguably, if I were to pull back the 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 the, the viewfinder, it's sort of this um, anti-rabbinism. Who needs the the priest in the room to or the the synagogue to tell me what Judaism is? I'm going to do it on my own long hair and all. And then you become a congregational rabbi for all these years. You, you go to the dark side. So <laughs> so help me square that circle. Um, and then eventually we'll get to the question of this present moment. Well, I, I want to amend a little bit what you said. I, I, I mean, there was an element of anti, uh, anti-clergy, anti-establishment. But I, I think it was in part because we experienced, and I think we're talking about suburban synagogues, which were, you know, a, a big phenomenon in the 50s and 60s in Jewish life, where um, basically the congregants coming to synagogue were fairly passed, and the rabbi would lead, the clergy would lead, um, and everybody just sat there. So the subtitle of Do It Yourself Kit was um, the key point was not so much rabbis are bad, but that it was for Judaism to be vibrant, you have to do it yourself. You have to take it on on, on yourself. And I think that that was the the basic message. Um and look at for you know many years I I I didn't want to become a, a rabbi. My father was was a rabbi, uh, an Orthodox rabbi and then later uh, took a conservative synagogue. Um, but I, you know, I, I felt partly because of this ideology um, and and for other reasons. Uh, and then at some point it felt, um, no, this is really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be, you know, a, a, a teacher and, uh, and, uh, and, and a rabbi. Okay. All right. Um, I'll let you off the hook with me and, uh, you know, over scotch someday, we'll, we'll dive deeper at, and peel away at that onion. So the book, um, but, and by extension of this conversation, because you talk about the countercultural moment of the, of the sixties, um, you, you, you sort of frame it descriptively, um, with sort of a periodization of Jewish history, right? You had, um, originally a temple-based religion, then you have um, the story of Yochanan ben Zakkai and the emergence of rabbinic Judaism following the destruction of the temple in the year 70, um, the emergence of mysticism and other expressions of Hasidism, um, all of which sort of in the sense of theology recapitulating sociology, that the condition of the Jewish people demanded um, a new expression of what we call this thing called Judaism. Uh, and then, of course, you have um, the, the thing that um, you, you, you go into some depth and in your book about the one-two punch of the emancipation and enlightenment and what we now know for the last few hundred years as the emergence of denominations, conservative reform, orthodox, each one sort of in reaction to 
this 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 impulse to reconcile this uh, the disorienting perplexities of modernity um, and how one can be both Jewish and a citizen of the world and and then um, that you have the emergence of the modern state of Israel of course the the horrors of the Shoah um, count so so. We can keep going through the various chapters of Jewish history, um, but but so what? What's the inflection point when you, when you title a book "Judaism Disrupted"? Just before we get to the prescriptive, let's talk about the descriptive. What what makes this moment of of transformation unique, particular, different, and worthy of note? I think. I mean, you're you're right that things are always going on, but um, I I I think this is, and I think we're also still reacting to modernity. That that in other words, it wasn't just a moment, and then the denominations arose and everything was fine. I, I think this is modernity is is an ongoing challenge, and we're still trying to figure out how to successfully to respond, and. and I think this moment is a particularly disruptive moment, um, and it's not—I'm not, I'm not just talking about COVID and and you know the political situation of the last couple of years. I, I think we, the disruption is is increasing and um, and uh, and is really affecting all aspects of people's lives, and therefore I, I think what's required is not just a kind of tinkering around the edges um, to uh, to fix uh, what may be not working in Judaism, but that it it requires um, a, a, a somewhat radical change. Just as I think the change from uh, biblical Judaism to rabbinic Judaism was a, a, a really radical change. No more temple. No more sacrifices, etc. But just like then, we now know that that unfolded over many centuries. Um, you know, Yochanan ben Zakkai just didn't invent rabbinic Judaism, and everybody said, "Great, we're all in." You know, it, and that. So these changes, I think, always um, unfold over time. But so, so let me let me push you a little on that. Because, so what are the changes? I mean, I've read I've read the beginning of the book, so I know. But I want listeners to know what. Are the challenges, the changes, the transformations that 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 force this question? That it's not just business as usual. Um, I think we live in a very different world. That if you think about again broadly the, the medieval world, um, and that even though Jews had more contact with their non-Jewish neighbors than we think, you know, wasn't a program every five minutes. But really, the both culturally and religiously, they were living separate from a world around them. Uh, and now we live in an open society, increasingly open society, and it's actually the world we want to live in. We want to um, be be part of uh, of that world, and that is uh, a fundamental different challenge. So I like to say that the genius of rabbinic Judaism was creating a. A, a Judaism that was portable, that Jews could take wherever they would end up uh, in, in the world. Now we need to create a Judaism that's permeable, that's really open to the world around us. And that's a, a completely different set of challenges 
than uh, than existed in the in the past. And and so that is from the descriptive to the prescriptive. Excuse me, the paradigm change that whereas, and I I don't want to rabbi explain your book, but <laughs> that we were in a moment of shields up, an insular community, um, parochial, asking questions about our particularist identity, and now it's an outward-facing faith, a permeable faith. How, how would you describe um, what you're, the sort of the thesis of what you're recommending moving well, forward? I, I, don't, I don't know if it's outward-facing, um, but... It feels, in a sense, the 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 sea we're swimming in is radically different, right? Um, uh, and and the suppositions are different. And so, for one of the places, I I, I think need uh, um, some changes is the the paradigms of rabbinic Judaism, which which uh, in some ways was about uh, categories. There, were, there was Jews, non-Jews, kosher, not kosher, and uh, and that which uh, we've discovered now, I think, can lead dualism can lead to hierarchy, right? So that's a when you think about it, that's a much more fundamental challenge than just saying, okay, we're going to now we think we should be egalitarian and women should be full participants just like everybody else. That's important, but th these are fundamental ways of of looking at the world that were part of the construction of rabbinic Judaism. And now I think we want to have a world that is more open, more accepting, less judgmental, uh, and 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 the concern about, in some ways, of standing at the borders and protecting and deciding who's in and who's out. I think are not the not the questions that this world uh, calls upon us to ask, right? Uh, and and that so that's a huge challenge, right? Right, it, and it also seems that the element of volition is is beneath a lot of what you're writing about. That the, some notion that you do Jewish because you have to, either in a sort of pre-modern notion of being commanded, or simply sociologically that you're living in closed communities, that, 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 uh, that's no longer the case for the vast majority of certainly the non-Orthodox American Jewish right. community. Right. And therefore, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm not the first person to say that it says, but halacha, rather than being law, is, is, is the way. It comes from the root meaning of to, to go. Um, and, 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 in that sense, we're all on a life's journey. And Judaism is really about, and this is an important point in the book, it's not about being a good Jew. It is about uh, using the wisdom and practices uh, that uh, Judaism have has to live, a, a, to take the most precious gift we've been giving, given our lives and live them with meaning and purpose. Well, it, and it seems that many of the traditional categories of mitzvot, um, you're, you're refashioning um, to speak to this, this ethic. So whereas kashrut 
might have once been defined by how an animal was slaughtered. Now it might be how we're treating uh, the worker um, or the animal um, in in that moment, or um, the question of um, the. I, I, there was a paragraph about you know you're not supposed to throw away certain uh, shameless the the things with have God's name, and he said, well, this can actually be uh, reconsidered as 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 a broader mandate vis-a-vis recycling. Um, or Sukkot is not so much about the wilderness wanderings in the, in the, the mobile, uh, 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 shelters, but it actually could be about, um, environmentalism and, uh, the fragility of, of the world and climate change and otherwise. Um, so it's almost like you're doing, uh, a, you know, Shimshon Raphael Hirsch wrote his, um, Choreb, which went through all 613 mitzvot, um, and gave a compelling reason and rationale, um, for why. And you're offering a new Choreb, uh, a new rationalization. I, I, I think, because I think part of the challenge for many Jews is they look at the rituals of Judaism and they say, I, I, I don't get it. Like, why is, why is this important, and why does it have meaning? Um, and and what I'm trying to do is, is you said it very well, is to take um, uh, either traditional rituals or to take a holiday and re-envision in contemporary uh, ways, but that I think people will co- feel connected. Oh, I get why I'm, I'm supposed to do this. I, I uh, one example I, I, you didn't mention, uh, is, you know, the mezuzah, the, you know, the little, uh, container that's on our doorpost. Uh, and I think from, for many Jews have, have one, but after they hang it up, it's just wallpaper. And so I suggest, what if you, you take a moment before you, uh, when you're making the transition from home to go out for your day, to go out for, to work, and take a moment, at, you know, at the doorpost, um, and think about what do you want your spiritual orientation to be for the day. And so, what you take with you is your keys, your cell phone, and some idea of uh, whatever it is. I, I want to pay a little bit more attention to nature, even though I'm living in, in the city. Or it could be specific. I, I know I have a difficult meeting meeting today, and I want to take an extra measure of patience with me. And, 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 um, you know, reconceiving these things, which I think are both can then be meaningful and that are easy to do. They don't require an hour of a prayer service. Um, and, and, and it's all about, um, transforming ritual into awareness practice, which I think is a, is a, a correct way to understand it. Um, it's not the ghost. But, or the, the caress behind your book is Mordecai Kaplan. Um, you know, you, you are, I know you're ordained at the reconstruction, but you are a true believer in reconstructionist Judaism. I mean, that, that, that sort of seeps through every page of your book. I, I, I'm forgetting the categories, but Mordecai Kaplan, the great founder of reconstructionist Judaism of blessed memory, talked about transvaluation and revaluation and taking, you know, whether in his day it was a Passover Haggadah of refashioning, refashioning and formulating it, 
um, in a coin that speaks to, you know, with an urgency to the needs of the day. Uh, I mean, this seems to be, you know, I suppose that if one thinks that ritual is exhausted and not commanded, one can either A, create new ritual or assign new meaning to old ritual. Um, and know. I think I'm brought, you know, this, I think this notion that, that ritual is about an awareness practice, you know, both, you know, echoes contemporary spiritual language, which I think is helpful for some people who are more familiar with that than traditional um, Jewish language. But I think ultimately that's really what it was about, um, right? The, you know, the, the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, begins like, you know, you should awake at the morning and bring your attention to the fact that, you know, God is before you. Right, so they would use the language of placing God before you all the time, but that's consciousness, that's awareness. I'm, I'm using it. You can use it for that, but you can use it for all these other things of um, of paying attention or um, trying to work on my inner qualities. By okay, I want to really, you know, try to uh, to not be as an angry person as I am sometimes, or try to find satisfaction rather than being dissatisfied always. And and so I, I for me it's I like finding within the tradition um support for these. So you know one of the, th does, the does things the will just, of God fit into anything for you? Yes, God you does meaning, fit meaning meaning the traditional explanation of mitzvah as you know even if I were to use Heschelian language of seeking to you know, uh, you know, reach out, aspire towards the will of God, or, or I mean, Kaplan didn't believe in a supernatural God. Right. Um, so I'm just wondering, um, does God still command in your theological matrix, or is it all just a mo an aspect of spiritual attunement? I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't believe that God commands. I don't believe in uh, exactly Kaplan's notion of God either. Um, one of the ways I, uh, I think about mitzvah, I know you, you've written about this, is that, you know, in, in Hasidism, it, they link it to Aramaic tzavta, which means connection. Now, for them, it was about being connected to God. And certainly, that that is can be and is true for, for people. But I think it also means um, just, it's a way of talking about awareness. It's like, instead of just sleepwalking through life, I feel connected. I realize, like, oh, I need to do something about the environment, right? I, I feel um, connected to the the social issues and the social justice issues that that our our society is struggling for. So, they the mitzvot are opportunities for connection, and whether that's connection to the divine, whether it's connection to uh, a sense of consciousness. Um, uh, or it's it's it brings forth your your values. You know, one of the things I, I, I develop is is a traditional concept of of mitzvot to mediot that there are these kind of basically called constant mitzvot, which for Maimonides were things like loving God and and, and fearing God. You know, it's not like you're supposed to do this at some time. You're supposed to do this all the time. And I want to encourage people to think of, for them, what is 
a, a fundamental principle that they want to live their lives by. And I can imagine that for some people, the you know, which is actually the most frequently mentioned commandment in the Torah, which is remember that you were strangers in Egypt and therefore treat strangers. To say that, that is my fundamental principle. And it doesn't it doesn't just translate into giving money or volunteering or acting, you know, on behalf of social justice. It is how I shape my life. And as I go through life, I I respond to situations using that as my guiding principle, my mitzvah to me. To me. And I, I think th those are um, uh, powerful ways that people can find within the tradition um, practices and wisdom that um, help them live um, better lives and live live closer to the ideal that I think we all want to, you know, uh, approach the ideal we have for ourselves, knowing that we will fail, you know, often and badly, but that um, then it becomes a connection between what I'm doing and what I care about is, is clear rather than, you know, I'm doing this, but I, I'm not sure I, I get, I know why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm waving the lure of an etro of this four species, and I, 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 I like it or I don't like it, but I actually don't know why I'm doing it other than it's tradition or, or for some people they feel commanded. And I happen to like the four species. <laughs> I like it too. I like it too. Um, Rabbi Strasfeld. Thank you. I have about 8,000 other questions for you, uh, but we are out of time. Uh, your book, you know, the, the, the question is where to go from here. And I think, um, and, and as far as thought leadership, uh, the, um, the, the, your new book, Judaism Disrupted, is a deeply important book that I hope shapes any future conversations of, of wither American Jewry. Um, and then of course it's the task of people like me and hopefully people like you um, to operationalize that vision. And, and as rabbis, please God, have always been committed to doing over the ages um, to make sure this, this, the richness of our Judaism comes alive for Jews of every age. So I congratulate you on the book. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I hope it's not long before I see you back in the pews, um, and, um, and all good things to you, Rabbi. Congratulations on the publication. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah, back with the show.